Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. I'll tell you what, today we're going to do that again, once again, in one of my favorite ways, the sermon review. Now, in case you're new here, we've got a lot of new people here. Welcome, welcome. Come in, find a seat, sit down, grab your Bibles. Each week on Saturdays, we release a new sermon review. And a sermon review is simply this. We look at a variety of different pastors from a variety of different churches sent in by you guys or put in the comment section or suggested by the patrons. And uh, all the patrons, the really awesome, cool patrons are down in the description below. This actually, this sermon was suggested by one of those patrons. So we're going to be watching this sermon today. And as we do with every sermon we watch, we ask three questions. One, do they read the scripture? Two, do they give us context and culture? And three, do they present the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a really, it's a standard bar. It's like a low bar. Sometimes we like far exceed that bar. Sometimes we go way under that bar, but that is the bar we use for every single person. That way, my bias can't be in there. Uh, your bias can't be there. Like we're just looking at it straight across scripture, read context, given gospel preached. pretty simple concept. Now, if you want to do that with the sermons that you watch or listen to link down below for a free downloadable PDF of sermon, uh, it's a sermon note guide. Um, you can check that out. That's down there as well as the entire sermon. There's going to have the entire sermon linked down below in case you think I stopped too much or you just want to listen to the whole thing through without my voice. I would totally understand if you want to do that. So that's down below, along with some other links. If you care to support us, all those are down there. As I've mentioned, the Patreons are the only reason that um, we can keep doing this at the level that we do and putting out uh, some of the other content that we do as well, as hopefully you can go through the web, uh, the YouTube channel and see that. So that being said, enough with me talking about the, the, the all the things we do. Let's get over to uh, the sermon today. We're going to be looking at a sermon from New Day Church. And I know I'm going to mess this pastor's name up. Mike Scrollsinelli. <laughs> I don't know, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I messed your name up. Uh, let's go ahead and get into it. It's a 40-minute long sermon. So we're probably looking at about an hour and a half sermon review or so. Just so buckle up, guys. Buckle up. One thing I guess I do need to mention in case you like, you're like, man, an hour and a half long video. I don't want to watch that. We also have an audio podcast. If you want to check that out, link will be in the description for that as well. In case you're like, I don't have time for this, but you do have time for an audio uh, podcast. That'll be down there. So let's go ahead and hop in to a new day uh, church, a sermon called good fruit versus bad fruit from Matthew chapter seven, verses 15 through 20. Um, we already know what the scripture is. This, this is turning out to be a pretty good sermon already. Let's go ahead and hop in guys and see what Mike has to say. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here with us in person and online. We're always happy to see you and to have you tune in. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time today as a church, we are studying through Matthew's gospel right now. And you happen to find yourself today uh, in the middle of a mini-series on the topic of true and false disciples within Matthew's gospel. From Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, all the way through Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, Jesus gives us four different illustrations to help us know who is a true disciple and who is a false disciple. So take a look. First, he says that true disciples choose the narrow gate versus the wide. So one of the things I want to point out, like, obviously, we don't know just from the video, like what happened before this. But from what we can tell, at least the video they put out to everybody else, 
like it's right into it. Like here's like, hey, welcome. Here's where you find yourself. Let's get into it. And one of the things that I think is incredibly helpful, um, just so you know, I have watched half of this sermon. I haven't watched the whole thing. I had I didn't have time to watch the whole thing, but half of the sermon I have watched. And what I do know is that he preaches expositionally through the text. So what he's doing here is they, as he's already said. He's preaching through a mini series, but in case you're just showing up, obviously we can't recap everything he's talked about in the previous sermons, but whether you're just showing up or you've been there all of the different weeks, clearly, even if you've been there all the weeks, maybe you've forgotten something he's walking us through and giving us just a really very short glimpse of what's happening. So verses 13 and 14, narrow gate 15 and 20, good fruit, bad fruit, 21 through 23 claim, uh, claim versus reality. So he's giving you an overview of the series. So you have an idea of what's going on, which I think is really helpful. Um, and some people might, you know, depending on your personality, you just love chaos. <laughs> you may not like this so much, but this is helpful in kind of giving us some direction. Where are we going? Where have we been? What are we doing? Well, this, this is very helpful in giving you just a basic context of what has happened, what is happening. Obviously, more of an overview, but it's helpful to kind of help people that haven't been there and have been there. So I just want to say that. Next, he says that true disciples produce good fruit versus bad. Then he says that true disciples don't just claim him as Lord. There's a reality behind the claim. And then finally, Jesus says that true disciples build their lives on a foundation of solid rock versus shifting sand. So there's two gates, there's two trees, there's two claims, and there's true foundations. And, and what we choose, the narrow gate versus the wide, the good tree or the bad tree, the, two claim, you know, the, the, the right claim or the wrong claim, the right foundation or the wrong foundation, what we claim reveals to God, reveals to ourselves, and reveals to others who we truly are, true or false disciples. The Bible teaches that on Judgment Day, Jesus will charge the angels to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the wheat from the chaff. These are three different ways of saying that on Judgment Day, Jesus is going to charge the angels to separate those who claim to be followers of Jesus and those who really are. And so in this series, we're, we're doing this series to help prepare us uh, for that day. What we want to hear from Jesus on Judgment Day is, well done, my good and faithful servant, not depart from me, I never knew you. And so we're doing this series towards that end. And each week, we're covering one of the four illustrations that Jesus has covered. Last week, we covered the narrow gate versus the wide gate. And so today, we're covering good fruit versus bad fruit in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. I know this is probably a personal, like, personality thing. Um, giving people a roadmap of what you're preaching on, I think, is really helpful. It, it, it eliminates surprises. It helps them know what's coming. If they want to read ahead, they can. Um, it just gives them a structure in order to understand like what's going on. Not only that, he mentions like, Hey, this is why we're doing this, right? One day there will be judgment. One day we are all going to stand before Jesus. And when that happens, there's going to be a separation of, of true disciples or not. And so if you want to know like which category you probably going to end up in, like 
We want to prepare you for that. And so there's a purpose behind this series. There's a reason for them doing it. And it's not some like, I wonder what's going on. Like he's laying it out for the congregation. Like this is why we're doing it. And this is what it looks like. And this is where we're going. And I think it's just very helpful to do that as pastors. So it's not like you're just walking in and I don't know what we're getting this Sunday. It, there's a structure and a purpose. And, and so when you walk in, you know, like, this is what we're learning about today. And maybe you've even read it. And now <laughs> that's the good thing. Maybe you've read it, right? Maybe you've read it, studied it. And now you're coming in to see, you know, what is, what does pastor have to say about this? Where, where are we going this way? Anyway, this is, I, I just can't, <laughs> it's so helpful. Let's keep going. So again, good fruit versus bad fruit. Now, when I think of good fruit versus bad fruit, I can't help but think of a uh, recent uh, outing my family had, okay? Uh, it was Kristen and myself and several of my kids, and uh, we went strawberry picking at McCarthy's Farm in Feeding Hills, and it was a lot of fun, and I actually took some pictures uh, from that outing. I pulled them up on my computer to show you. So here's the first one of Kristen and Jonathan and Barrett, and then uh, here's one uh, of, of baby Andrew. Oh, no, me and, me and baby Andrew, which I just love that picture so much. And then here's baby Andrew stealing strawberries, all right? Um, yeah, great pastor's kid, right? Stealing strawberries. His life of crime begins now, all right? And then here's one of Kristen and I, and, uh, and then finally here's Jonathan and Barrett enjoying the spoils uh, after we went picking, and it was just a lot of fun. Um, while picking the strawberries, we had to be very careful because it was towards the end of the picking season. And by that time, a lot of the fruit, fruit has ripened, okay? If you have one kid, you can go strawberry picking anytime. When you have five, you go towards the end of the season when the price per container uh, drops, okay? And we were going by the end, we were going at the end of the, the season there, and, uh, but there was a lot of fruit that had spoiled by this time. So we had to investigate every single piece of fruit before putting it in our little basket to make sure that we were collecting good fruit. Well, in our text today, Jesus is going to tell us to take that same approach concerning what spiritual influences we allow into our life. So I do want to stop there really quick, right? So anytime anybody tells a story, I think it's really helpful to talk about like, hey, was that here? Here's my basic in case you're new here. Here's the basic sort of um, good, bad, ugly of storytelling during sermons. I think he did it well, for by the way, just to so use this as an example. There was something that he was trying to say, like, what, how can we intro into the text we're going to look at here in a way that helps them understand what Jesus is saying? Now, instead of telling it after, he tells it before, it's sort of an intro into the text. But the idea is that he's kind of concise, uh, very quick about it. He does show pictures, but the idea is just, I mean, whatever, that's, that's that, right? He doesn't go into some long story. What he could have done, right, to, if, to make this bad, what he could have done is done some like five minute long story about one of his kids doing this cute thing and falling down and, da, 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 and make it a whole thing. He doesn't do that, though. I'm sure that happened probably, but he didn't do that. All he said was, hey, here's some pictures of my kids. Hey, here's what we did. This is what it looked like. And the reason when we had to, you know, when we were all there, we were picking through all the fruit because by the time we got there, there was some good fruits, there was some bad fruit. And Jesus tells us to do the same thing as we're going and looking for good and bad fruit today, right? And so it's short, concise. It didn't take that long. And it actually 
not only humanizes the pastor, in case you don't know who he is, but it also gives you a very understandable picture of what, you know, good fruit, bad fruit is. Let's just be honest. A lot of people don't eat fruit anymore or don't really necessarily go pick it. And so we don't really have that everyday idea in our head of good fruit, bad fruit, what it looks like, unless you just love the produce section. So he uses a story in a way that's helpful, intros us into the scripture, and now he's getting into it. And I think that's a good use of the story, right? Um, it, it illuminates the text a bit. It brings it to the forefront of what our mind, so that when we read this text, we now have some sort of visual idea of what Jesus is talking about. But it doesn't belabor the point like I'm doing right now. So let's get back to the sermon. What we're going to learn is that we shouldn't just listen to any old preacher. We shouldn't read any old Christian book. We should not watch any old Christian television broadcasting. We must be as discerning as people picking strawberries late in the season because there's a lot of rotten fruit out there that we would do well to avoid collecting. And this is what Jesus is getting at in our text today. So let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 to 20. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. I'm going to stop it real quick, um, just because I didn't mention this before. Not that we have to worry about it. He's obviously putting it up for us so we can see it. Um, He's deliberately highlighted some stuff, too, that he's going to focus on, which is great. Um, Anytime a pastor, though, in case you're new to these sermon reviews, anytime a pastor mentions a scripture, you want to go there for the purpose of being able to follow along and say, is this what the scripture says? Right now, of course, you're going to have maybe different translations, so it's going to be worded maybe a little differently. But the idea that you're checking for is, are we reading all the verses? Are we within sort of the context and section uh, of what's being said here? Are we not, are we starting in the middle of the thought or are we getting the whole breadth of the thought that the text presents or the narrative is talking about? And so here, again, we don't have to worry about it too much. I'd still obviously tell you to take your Bibles and open up. But we can see what he's reading here, and we can see all the verses are there. We can see it starts and ends, especially if you have a physical Bible in front of you. You can kind of see the breaking points in the scripture there. And we can see that, oh, yeah, he's covering the whole the whole breadth of thought here. Those are the things we're looking for, because that's going to affect how the message is preached. So obviously, uh, he, he's reading through it all, so let's let him get back to it. But I always want to, I always want to mention that point. Always turn to the text that the pastor is preaching on, or at least take a note of it if it's like a cross-reference or some side mention, so you can double-check that later. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus you will recognize them, meaning false prophets, by their fruits. If you're taking notes today, it'd be a great time to pull out your lesson notes. I'll give you a few fill-in-the-blanks as we go along so that you have some hooks to hang your thoughts on as we work our way through the passage. I just want to tell you how amazing... Like, I... Okay. I just want to stop real quick before he gets in. There are some of you that probably listen that go to churches that provide some sort of guide like he's talking about as far as notes right so it's fill in the blank it's follow along those are typically pretty useful not all of them but by and large they're pretty useful that are encouraging you to follow along encouraging you to take notes encouraging you to to double check what the pastor is saying 
I know some of you go there. So when I mention stuff like opening your Bible and taking notes, you're like, duh. Some of you don't attend churches like that. And you don't even, you're like, why would they do that? Again, this there is a structure set up to intentionally help believers that are listening to this sermon follow along, understand, and be edified by what the scriptures say. And there's an intent. It's not just, hey, guys, do this thing because you should. There's like an intent put forward by both Mike here and the church to say we've put in the kind of the background effort to give you guys something to help you learn what the scriptures say. Now, you can use it. You don't have to use it. Obviously, it's up to you. But it's there. They're they're not only saying do it, but they're giving you the tools to do so. And so, like, I always want to encourage churches, if, if you have the means and the ability and the time to do that, do that. Because, I mean, some people, I mean, one of the reasons I did the sermon review guide, some people just don't know how to do that or don't have time to put something like that together or just don't think in that sort of like linear way. And so they need something like that. And so if you're a church that has the ability to do that and the forethought and the planning ahead to do that, I think it's really useful and helpful for people. Um, it's not like they're going to keep a hold of all of them and scrapbook them or whatever, but at least in that moment, at the very least, they have something that helps them kind of think through the scripture with you well. So the first thing that we see in our text today is what we're going to call the admonition. The and we see this in the first part of verse 15, where Jesus warns, beware of false prophets. Now, the word prophet here is simply a reference to someone who claims to speak for God. Many times when we think of the word prophet, we think of someone who foretells the future, but that's not the way the word is being used here. Here, the word prophet is being used in its broadest sense to refer to someone who claims to be a representative of God and who claims to speak for God, but in reality, he does not. In the Bible, these false representatives of God are called by many names. They're called false brothers, false apostles, false teachers, false speakers, meaning they're liars, false witnesses, and false Christs. But though the nicknames are many, they all refer to the exact same thing, the person who claims to represent and speak for God but does not. And so what we're dealing with today is any spiritual leader who might try and exert spiritual influence on our lives. Could be the pastor of a large church, uh, could be someone you found on the internet, you know, could be a a, a missionary, could be an evangelist, um, you know, it could be the leader of some uh, parachurch ministry. So we're dealing with spiritual leaders and the influence they might seek to exert upon our lives. And Jesus lets us know that we need to beware because not everyone who claims to be a representative of God or speaks on his behalf has actually been sent by God. Bible commentator Warren Wearsby warns this, and I love this. He says, Satan is the counterfeiter. He has a false gospel preached by false ministers producing false Christians. And friends, this is the real danger of the false teacher. When we allow ourselves to be Under the influence of a spiritual leader, it is our hope and our prayer that that spiritual leader will guide us to enter through the narrow gate so that we can be on the only path that leads to eternal life. But when we expose ourselves to a false teacher, to a false prophet, 
the danger is that we'll be put on a path that does not lead to heaven, rather a path that leads to hell. Whew, man. Okay, so like, this is good. Um, in this, like, so he, he's, he's laying out in front of his congregation, unpacking this text, and doing it in a way that is, is beneficial for them, warning them, but not necessarily like naming names, right? Uh, the point that I got up to is that we're not quite there yet, but he still hasn't named any names up to that point, which I think is helpful. So what he's doing is saying like, hey, this is what they look like. This is who they are. This is the danger of following them. So be aware. And doing it in a very contextual way, saying, you know, maybe it's a parachurch minister that you follow. Maybe it's an online person you follow. Maybe it's like whoever it is, these prophets, false prophets could be someone that has some sort of influence over you. And you need to be careful who you listen to and watch. He's about he's going to get into some resources, which I think are helpful, too. And he's laying this out in a very applicable, very modern way for his people uh, to warn them. Right. As a shepherd warning the sheep like, hey, be careful out there because there are wolves. There are people out there that are not there for your good. Actually, I'm skipping ahead because he's about to get into that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Just like just the ability that he's using right now to unpack and give a very, um, very kind but stern like, hey, there are people out there that are not good for you. And so we have to be careful. This is precisely what the religious leaders of Israel uh, were doing. They were represent, they were claiming to represent God. They were speaking in God's name, except they did not share a message from God. And so Jesus comes along and he accosts them as follows in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You see, the religious leaders of Israel were teaching that you are saved and will go to heaven if you physically descend from Abraham, if you are circumcised, and if you strictly adhere to the Mosaic law. But this was wrong. Yeah, it's what they taught the people. And so those who followed these leaders became twice the child of hell as their leaders because their leaders were false prophets. What they taught did not come from God. And friends, what a timely message for us. We live in the information age, right? I mean, there's so much material out there. And if we're not careful, we ourselves can come under the spiritual influence and tutelage of people who claim to represent God, but do not, and who claim to have a message from God that's not actually rooted in Scripture. Sometimes I'll hear someone espousing a strange view that I know is not in accord with Scripture. And without fail, it comes from some sketchy website, some obscure podcast, some self-published book, or some social media post, all right? TikTok. You guys know just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true, right? So we have Instagram to be careful. So, so let me equip you to get some good resources into your life. Here's the deal. If you want some supplemental... Okay, so here's what he's going to do. I think this is helpful. Now, again, uh, he, he's, he's working through this very short text. I mean, we're only in 15 through 20, so we're only, we're only dealing with five verses here. And so in between here, what he's saying is like, hey, there are people right before this, there are people out there that are that are that are going to be false prophets now we'll get into kind of what that looks like and what that means but he says they're out there 
So what are some good resources then? And are, what are some things? Because if you're sitting there, I mean, the next logical question would be, okay, well, how, like if these people are out here, like what are some good resources and what are some good people? Like, okay, you've told me the warning, but how do I avoid that? What do I look for? And now he's going to get into some just very practical resources for his people um, to use to help them in discernment, to help them sort of parse through the good and the bad. So let's, let's get into that. Uh, preaching outside of what you receive on Sunday, some, some supplemental uh, spiritual exhortation, maybe outside of your small group, which I think is fine. But if you're looking for that, let's get you hooked up with some good resources. So if you're looking for a good preacher to listen to, here's what I want you to do. It's very simple. Go to Google and just type in expository preachers. <laughs> oh boy. What? Did we just yes. So yep. here, here's the amazing part. You <laughs> Here's the amazing part. Um, this is this is good for a couple of reasons. So he's not, and he doesn't as far as I know, maybe he does later. He doesn't say, hey, here's the top five that I would definitely listen to. He just says, go type in expository preachers. Not, I listen to these five people and they're the best ever and you should only listen to them. Just go type in expository preachers. And go ahead and read the first three or four search results. And what you're going to find are several names that come up over and over and over. I would recommend taking the top three and go ahead and listen to uh, a sermon of each person. And you're going to find someone that you best connect with. And that'll really help you to put on the right track. Because here's what you find without fail. The false prophet, the false teachers, the false apostles, uh, the false Christ, uh, they are not doing expository preaching. In expository preaching, you take the text, you study it to understand it in its original context so that you can pass along to your audience the message the original author had for that original audience. But I really like Mike. I'm just going to tell you right now. I really like Mike. Without fail, the false prophet decides a message that he or she wants to share right off the start and then goes and picks different Bible verses out of their context to add weight and support to whatever message they've decided to share, which usually involves uh, supporting financially the upgrades on their private jet. So get out of that nonsense and search expository preachers. Check out a couple options. Make sure you're listening to a name that comes up over and over. Uh, sometimes you'll see me quote these different people. Have you noticed a lot of times they're old that's on purpose. I study and learn from people that have been following Jesus for decade after decade after decade and whose life has been consistently in line with the word of God. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that he's not necessarily naming names, right? I mean, he's just saying, do this. This is how I do it. The reason I follow these older people is because, again, I mean, you're just looking at... at the life and ministry that we see Paul exercising, you know, in Timothy and Titus, uh, you see that, you know, Titus two, the older men and younger men, like there's this, there's this real idea that there, there is wisdom and resources to be found in those that have been following Christ for a long time. It's not that, you know, younger individuals can't, don't have that. Right. It's just that like, if I'm going to ask, how do I fix uh, X, Y, Z, I'm going to go to a mechanic that's done that a long time. 
right? If somebody wants to know how to fix something on a car, they're not coming to me. They're coming to my father-in-law. Not because I don't know necessarily how to fix it. They just know that he's going to be able to do it faster. And he probably, he probably going to know five ways to do it to my two. And so, and the two I do know, I've learned from him anyway. So it's one of those things where, um, man, like this, this example that he's setting out, not naming names, but saying, these are the characteristics you want to look for is so exceedingly helpful in dividing, um, false prophets, uh, and, and real teachers, the good fruit and the bad fruit here. This is, this is so good. So friends, search expository preachers. That'll certainly put you on the right path. If you want to be under the spiritual influence uh, of a preacher outside uh, of your local church or your small group. All right, now let's talk about books to read. Don't just read anything. I would recommend this. Do what I do. If I want to learn on a certain topic, I go to logos.com. This is where I get all the material from which I prepare my sermons. It's very scholarly. It's doctrinally sound. But go to logos.com and just search prayer. And you know what? A whole bunch of solid, doctrinally solid books on the subject of prayer will pop up. And you can go ahead and order them right within Logos or you can having the title, go ahead and order them on Amazon, have them shipped right to your house. But don't just read anything. Go ahead and make sure you get a recommendation that's been vetted uh, by scholars. Just as a commercial break here, if you'd like to support us on the channel as well, we have a Logos affiliate down below. Part of your Logos purchase goes to the Honest Youth Pastor. Uh, also on that though, <laughs> serious note here, that's not a commercial. Uh, you do have to sort of search through some of those things on Logos though. There's a few books that I've been like, all right. like there's been a few free books of the month that I've I like looked up some of their theology. It's not been bad theology. It's all like secondary issues that I have with them. So it's not like this whole salvific issue problem, but you do want to look into them because there are going to obviously be differences on some of those issues, but it's a solid resource. I use it for sermon prep all the time. Um, I actually tried to integrate it into these sermon reviews, but there's just, oh, it would make them even longer. And I know nobody wants that, but Logos, good, good software. You can check out that link below. So that you can make sure what you're reading is in keeping with orthodoxy. All right, here's a recommendation for what to watch. Uh, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of garbage on Christian television. A lot of it seems to be filled with uh, prosperity preaching, uh, which is just absolute spiritual garbage. I'm not saying all of it is, but a lot of it is, and we have to be discerning. So something that we recommend is instead of watching garbage uh, on TV, why not check out Right Now Media? It's a great Christian resource. It's something we offer for free. Uh, you can sign up for it and register for it right within the New Day app. Um, you can go to guest services if you need help with that, and we'll be happy to help you out. But these are resources that are filtered so that you're not getting a message from a false prophet. Now, the question begs, how is it that some well-meaning people, people who love God and want to grow closer to him, how is it that they find themselves coming under the influence and the tutelage of a false prophet? I mean, how does this happen? Well, that's the question Jesus answers in the next part of our text. We've looked at the admonition, and now the second thing I want you to see in our text is what we're going to call the deception. And we see this in the second part of verse 15, where Jesus refers to false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, this verse is often misunderstood, so pay close attention so you can understand what it really means. Okay, so I do want to interrupt really quick. So this is, when we're talking about like 
one of the three things, right? So read scripture. We've clearly done that. Second thing is giving context and culture, which we've, we've already done that a good, a good bit. This is going to really get into the contextualization though. Um, that's very helpful. So I just want, I want to prep you for that. He may give more. I, I basically, after this, basically after this sort of breakdown, I haven't watched anything past this, so I don't know what happens after this, but um, I think this is a really good example of a breakdown of a contextual uh, situation that oftentimes, as he's already mentioned, is missed, but like really brings the text out. Like this is why contextualizing the text is so important because oftentimes just because of the time and separation we have from when this was written, there's a lot of things, a lot of things we miss. And unless we understand the culture and the context and what's going on in the day, there's some things that we just sort of read over or we assume we know and we don't. There's lots of sermons I've listened to where somebody assumes something about the passage is just simply not true, clearly not done their work, but they assume something and then they just run with it, make a whole sermon about it. And then the whole sermon's trash because they just didn't do the work they were supposed to do. And so what he's about to do here is incredibly helpful. It brings the context out. It brings the word alive. It helps us understand what's going on and what Jesus is saying. So now that I've prepped you for that, let's, let's let him kind of break this down in a way that's really helpful. In first century Palestine, the person who wore sheep's clothing was the shepherd. The shepherd would make clothing from the wool that came from the animals in his flock. Okay, the skin was on the outside, the wool touched the skin and kept the shepherd warm. So the person who comes in sheep's clothing, that is the shepherd. Therefore, here's your next two fill in the blanks, take a look. Therefore, the one who comes in sheep's clothing is the one who presents himself as a shepherd. A shepherd who ostensibly cares for the well-being of his sheep, but in reality is a wolf who will do the sheep great harm. So the reason so many people, to answer our question, the reason so many people, well-meaning people, are led astray, spiritually speaking, is because the false prophets don't present as false prophets. They, They don't wear a red outfit, okay, with horns on their head and carrying a pitchfork with a tail at the end. No, they present as loving, caring shepherds. To put it as Jesus did, they come in sheep's clothing. If they presented as wolves, everyone would be scared away, right? But in presenting as a loving, caring shepherd, many draw close and follow without suspicion. Now, this approach of being a wolf but presenting as a shepherd, this is following their true father, who is Satan. The Apostle Paul says of Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we really shouldn't be surprised when Satan's emissaries take the same deceptive approach, coming and presenting as a loving, caring shepherd, when in reality they are a ravenous wolf, meaning to do harm to the flock. Now, I want you to note that there's two different kinds of false prophets in the world those who know they're false prophets, and those who don't. Some false prophets know that Christians are easy marks because we often don't listen to the words of Jesus where he says, beware. And we're not uh, 
careful with who we expose ourselves to. So we're invited to some revivalist meeting, we're invited to some revival service, and we go and we hear, and someone says Jesus, and they quote a Bible verse, and they're funny, and they're engaging, and then at the end they ask for money, and you're like, oh, it must be for real. And we just go ahead and we, and we get fleeced. Many of these people would think that instead of Jesus saying, uh, feed my sheep, you would think that what he told them was, fleece my sheep, because that's all they do in the services. I remember as a teenager being invited to one of these charismaniac meetings, and, and they would just, you know, grab a scripture here, grab a scripture there, no matter what the text was. They didn't explain its meaning. They just used it and perverted it and twisted it so that at the end, we were all encouraged to, to give all our money to, you know, uh, you know, upgrade whatever, you know, vehicle or means they needed, upgrade their private jet, do this, do that. And I was like, this is absolute garbage. If you want an example of that, like, again, I do not want to um, maybe box every charismatic uh, into a to the same box but if you want a really good example of just blatantly doing this i have a three hour long kenneth copeland sermon review there's a shorter version you can watch too but it, he's a great example of this of reading a scripture and then just being like well we read it but over here is something else let's talk about that like it's just a really good example and again i don't want to box everybody within that you know category and be like, oh, these are all terrible. But typically, if you go back and watch the sermon reviews, they fit the exact thing that he's saying. Like, we have a Bible verse here, we have a Bible verse there, but we really don't get into what those Bible verses mean, other than pulling a certain word out or a certain idea out and then running with that and not caring at all the context that was in or what the person was doing in the narrative or saying in the text. Like, there's just no connectivity to the text after we just take it and use it and then throw it to the side. Um, and so what he's, what he just described here in that very short amount of time is exactly what many of these sermon reviews that I do almost, I mean, copy paste every single one of them. Like you can almost guarantee this, that and the other thing's going to happen next because everybody does it the same. And so what he just said here is something to definitely look for, not just in charismatics or obviously there's other people that do it. Um, but Kenneth Copeland is a, an, a, perfect example of what he just described. Jesus calls the wolf ravenous. And the Greek word for ravenous can also be translated swindler. So the false prophet is often the swindler trying to free people from their financial resources for personal gain. And some people know they're doing this and they do it anyway. And these are false prophets who know they're false prophets. But then there are false prophets who don't know they're false prophets. They think they're teaching orthodoxy, but they themselves are deceived. And so they pass along their heretical teaching, their errant teaching, thinking that they're teaching right. Well, Paul warns in 2 Timothy chapter 3, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So being deceived themselves by the ultimate deceiver, such people can be thoroughly convinced in their own minds that their errant beliefs are true, and thus they lead others astray. But the big takeaway here is this, whether they know they're false prophets or they're deceived and don't realize that they are, either way, the false prophet always presents as a loving, caring shepherd out to do you uh, good, when in reality they are a ravenous wolf meaning to do harm to the sheep of God's flock. Now, I realize that a teaching like this can create fear. 
it can create the fear of being led astray. But I want to point out that Jesus does not say, be afraid of the false prophet. No, Jesus says, beware. In other words, be on guard. And we don't need to be afraid of the false prophet and of the false prophet's false teaching because the false prophet is actually easily identified. And that brings us to the third and final thing we see in our text. We're going to call it the identification. We need not fear false prophets. We need not fear being led away by their corrupting influence because Jesus tells us they are easily identified. And that's what he's getting at in verses 16 to 20. Jesus says, you will recognize them, the false prophets, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. We need not fear being led astray, because just as thorn bushes do not produce delicious grapes, and just as thistles do not produce nutrient-rich figs, Okay, really quick. I know if you guys are listening to this just audio, no video, you're missing this part of it. Um, I think this is helpful. And I don't know, again, I guess depending on where you live and the sort of the urban or rural setting of your church, this could be more beneficial or less. But um, what he's got on the screen currently is a picture of thorn bushes and thistles. And he's got the pictures on the screens in order to give his congregation an idea of like when Jesus says this about thorn bushes and this about thistles, this is what the disciples are understanding when they're hearing this. And so this, I, I think this is nice. If Again, if you, you got to kind of know your congregation. I live in a rural area. So like when you talk about thorn bushes, th thorn bushes and thistles, like everybody, everybody is going to know what you're talking about. But depending on your congregation and where they're at, maybe this is maybe this is a necessity. Maybe they don't garden. Maybe they don't go hiking. Maybe they hate the outdoors. And so this right here gives them some sort of picture of what Jesus is talking about in a real way, again, for the purpose of bringing the scripture alive to those that are hearing these words, but maybe aren't making the connection exactly what Jesus is talking about or alluding to. So I, this is nice. This is helpful. He's not going to big some long, big story. He's just showing them so they see them. So false teachers do not produce the fruit of genuine repentance. And that being the case, they are easily identified. Let me show you two verses. First comes from John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. But this very fruit that proves true discipleship is the very fruit that's missing from the lives of the false teachers. Likewise, the apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter five. He says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But these are all the godly characteristics that are conspicuously missing from the life of the false teacher. I do want to say that what I, what I really appreciate about this is all of the cross-references he's giving. Um, 
their conferences, cross references that I would again really very much encourage, and I'm sure probably on their notes they already have them listed. But if you go to a church that doesn't do that, right, and there's a lot of cross reference cross references mentioned, writing those down are helpful not only to double check them, um, but to have them. So when you are going maybe back over your notes during the week. I'm assuming you do that. Maybe you don't. It's a good practice just to keep the sermon fresh in your mind, especially if you're working through, you know, a whole group of text. Um, those are helpful to not only double check if the pastor is using them correctly, but to also, um, to, he, he's doing it for a reason, right? Presumably uh, to show you that, you know, hey, scripture says that over here, over here, it all connects together. Um, I just appreciate that he's, that he's using these in a correct and beneficial manner for his people, um, pointing out what later we see Paul and the apostles doing, pointing back to Jesus' teaching. So not only is the good fruit that's supposed to be there missing, the bad fruit that's supposed to be absent from the life of a true follower of Jesus is present. As one commentator I read put it, if they are oriented to money, prestige, recognition, popularity, power, sexual looseness, and selfishness, they do not belong to Jesus Christ. If they are proud, arrogant, resentful, egotistical, and self-indulgent, they clearly are false prophets. So we see that we need not fear the false prophet or being led astray by them because they are easily identified by their fruit the fruit the good fruit that's supposed to be there it's not in their life the bad fruit that not that's not supposed to be there you can easily spot it now i understand that some of you are thinking well what about a leader whose life i can't easily observe this is not a pastor at my local church this is someone i'm listening to on the internet you know, they actually live overseas or they live across the country uh you know how can i tell if i'm not able to actually observe uh the good fruit or the bad fruit coming out of their life and that's easy friends even if we cannot observe uh, the good or bad fruit coming out of their life we can observe and evaluate their teaching and what they teach will always betray them as a false prophet. John, I just want to I just want to say this one more time. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Uh, you yes. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh. Like one of the reasons that I want you to really dig into the sermons that you listen to and the and the not only at your local church but the extra sermons that you listen to and the really popular people that you probably follow or read this reason right here, like you, hopefully, like these sermon reviews give you some sort of framework, even if you disagree with me, they give you some sort of framework to work through everyone's sermons, mine included. That's why I post my sermons. I don't post my sermons. Uh, in fact, I find it quite embarrassing, <laughs> quite honest with you, to post my sermons, but they're there so that because well, basically everybody's like, well, where are your sermons? Well, they're right here. Like if you want to judge me against my own standard, please do. Uh, I did a whole sermon review on one of my own sermons. And hey, spoiler, in case you don't ever want to watch it, which I totally get, uh, I missed the last point. Like I did not unpack the gospel as well as I think I should have. Um, and so like there's a reason I do these. Obviously, I love doing it, but also to hopefully give a framework to people to say, hey, okay, you really like this pastor. Great. Like let's walk through their sermons then. <sighs> Mike, dude, not only do you have a cool beard, you are a solid teacher, my friend. MacArthur writes this on this topic. 
He says, false prophets talk much about the love of God, but nothing of his holiness. Much about people who are deprived, but nothing about those who are depraved. Much about God's universal fatherhood of every human being, but nothing about his unique fatherhood, only of those who are his children through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The false prophets, they talk much about what God will give to us, but nothing about obedience to him. Much about health and happiness, but nothing about holiness and sacrifice. Their message is a message of gaps, the greatest gap of which leaves out the truth that saves. Real quick, that was a quote from John MacArthur, in case you guys missed it on the audio side. I know everybody feels some type of way about John MacArthur. I have a whole series on the whole thing that Julia Royce put out on John MacArthur. If you... If you're like, well, how dare you say that Mike's a good teacher, but yet he quotes John MacArthur. Just go watch that series if, if you really are that into it. If not, just leave it for what it is. But um, yeah, it's a good quote. So friends, you can always identify the false teacher. There'll be an absence of teaching on holiness, obedience, uh, and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel in their teaching. But friends, this is the biggest indicator that someone is a false teacher that someone is a false prophet. They will, without fail, teach a gospel other than the gospel of Christ that we find in the pages of Scripture. For example, if you're still taking notes, false teachers preach a works gospel. A works gospel. The false teacher will say that we should place our faith and trust in Jesus but then also live a life of good works so that on judgment day, our good will outweigh our bad and we will be saved. And unfortunately, this is a teaching that's very prevalent in Catholicism, a works-oriented gospel. Now, one thing I do want to know here, just to, to be fair, um, what Mike is doing here, not that I don't disagree, like I, I think I agree with probably the direction he's going here, but one thing I think is important to point out, if we're looking specifically at the text that we're looking at, is that uh, 15 through 20, like if we're actually talking about that and pulling it out, Mike is at this point reading a bit of his, um, his theology into the text here at this point. Now, I, I would argue that he probably has scripture to back up all of the points he's going to make. But if we're looking specifically at 15 through 20, there does have to be a realization here. And I don't know if it needs to be stated or not, because if you're going to this church, you probably know the denomination. I don't know what denomination. I mean, I'd say probably Reformed leaning or Baptist, if I had to guess. Uh, but like, if you're going to a church, know that there are certain baked in doctrines that are probably present that you may not be told outright that these are, you know, the doctrines necessarily. Um, how do I say this? Well, like, so these aren't in the, what he's saying here isn't necessarily in the text of 15 through 20. These are the things that are coming from more of a doctrinal position. Again, a doctrinal position I agree with, but I just need to state that like when we're reading that, nothing he's saying specifically here is within 15 through 20. This is kind of his understanding of what um, good fruit, bad fruit, uh, false teachers, you know, real teachers look like. Again, I agree with them, but it's one of those things that just to state they're not, it's not necessarily in the 15 through 20 part here. But friends, orthodoxy is this. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. When we place our faith in Jesus to forgive us of our sins, we are saved. Faith produces salvation and good works. 
but it's not that faith plus works equals salvation. When you have true faith, genuine faith in Jesus, it results in salvation, and those who genuinely experience salvation will live a life doing good works. Because as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which so he is backing up with text. So this, this is the thing you're looking for. At that point, so let's say if this was, he's named charismatic churches before, right? They're going to have verses to back up their points as well. That leaves you as the believer to look at and actually diligently search for, you know, look at these texts, go through doctrine, go through, uh, you know, theology and say, like, is, 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 do I, does this seem to be the truth that the scriptures present? Now, I would argue I, I, from what I'm hearing from him and from what he said up to this point, I, I'm going to say I'm probably in the exact same boat as Mike here as far as his belief system and his, his understanding of doctrine and theology. Um, but just know that everybody that gets up has some sort of verse to back up what they believe. It's really our job to discern from Scripture is what they're saying accurate and what's their background as far as the, theology and doctrine. So is it Presbyterian? Is it Baptist? Is it Charismatic? Is it Pentecostal? Is it United Methodist? Is it Holiness? Is it Wesleyan? Is it Quaker? Like all of these have different verses in which they have built their understanding of, of um, how to operate and how to believe and how this all works. Um, and so it's really our job as believers to be diligently discerning from the text and from what they say to land in a position that we go, this, this looks to be as what scripture is actually saying. And that takes time. You can't just be like, well, I'm shining the dot. I mean, like diligently actually study, um, and know what you believe and why you believe it. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. But the false prophet will always teach a, a works gospel. And this goes directly against the clear teaching of Scripture. I mean, look what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God doesn't want anyone going around saying, I earned it. He wants us to be giving him praise because he provided for us something we didn't deserve and definitely didn't earn. But not only will the false teachers advocate a works gospel, secondly, they'll also advocate uh, a prosperity gospel, like we hear from the leaders of the Word of Faith movement. According to these false teachers, the good news of the Bible is health and wealth. They say that the good news of the Bible is that because we belong to God, we can be wealthy and healthy if only we have enough faith. And this, of course, is absolute garbage. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, not guaranteed health and prosperity. Jesus promised persecution, not a bed of roses. So the good news of the gospel is not that if we come to Christ, all will go well with us, rather that through faith in Christ, our sins can be forgiven, so that in the next life we can live in the kingdom of God where there will be no curse of sin. So beware of books entitled Your Best Life Now. Friends, the only people living their best life now are the unsaved. Because when they die, what they have to look forward to is an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. So if you're unsaved, it's true. You're living your best life now. 
That was like the closest he's gotten to naming a name. Like, looking at you, Joel Steen. But if you're a believer, this is far from your best life. In this life, we live under the curse of sin. And it's because of the curse of sin that we have sickness and disease and suffering and natural disasters and death. And no amount of faith allows us to escape the curse of sin on this side of eternity. But the true good news of the gospel is that through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven and we can become citizens of the kingdom of heaven where we will one day live forever without the curse of sin. So friends, we reject the prosperity gospel because it is not the gospel of Christ. But thirdly, we also reject what we call the sinless gospel. Advocates of the sinless gospel never mention sin in any of their sermons. Now, I'm not saying if you go with a friend and you visit a church while you're on vacation in some other part of the country and you heard a 40-minute sermon and, and there was no mention of sin in that particular one, <gasps> it's a false teacher, it's a false prophet. But I will say this, if you listen to three or four or five or six or seven of those sermons and there's no mention of sin, you know one thing, you are under the influence of a false prophet. And do not think the person advocating a sinless gospel is going to come out and say, worship Satan, you know? <laughs> That's not what they do. It sounds good. There, there's a hint of orthodoxy in what they say. They might be funny. They're certainly going to include scripture in the sermon. But friends, if there's no mention of sin, it is not the gospel of Christ. Jesus came with a message saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of what? Repent of your sin. And it's because of the teaching of Jesus that the apostle Paul in the book of Romans spends three full chapters talking about how sinful his audience was before he ever shares with them the good news that because of God's grace, they can be saved from the penalty that God's law demands for sin which is death. So we got to avoid anyone who won't talk about sin. Some people in our culture today, they say, oh, I'm going to offend so-and-so. If I bring up this topic, it doesn't square with the way our culture is going. And, and they just never bring up anything controversial. They never confront sin. They never say, this is wrong. This is right. You know, this is what followers of Jesus do. This is what followers of Jesus don't. It's all just a happy, positive, uh, motivational, inspirational type message. And friends, it's a false gospel. The sinless gospel is a false gospel. So beware. Refuse to allow yourself to be under a teacher who doesn't talk about sin. All right, I know I've covered a lot. Oh, no, bro. Why well, you got to bring in the piano at the end, man? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I'll say something before we get to the piano part. Um, so I think that was that was interesting. I was wondering what he was going to name because prosperity is always in there. Uh, so he, he mentions work-based, which is adding to your salvation via works. He mentioned prosperity, which is the good news is simply uh, the gospel of, you know, health and wealth. And uh, and then he mentions the sinless one, which is like it's, it's always motivational and sin is never mentioned. I think you could probably have people like in all of those categories. Um what I do appreciate him not necessarily doing at any point, like he got real, I mean, 
he he put the Joel Steen joke in there for sure. But that's as close as he got to naming names. I, he he seems to be really just presenting them with like, hey, this is definitely where we're coming from doctrinally. This these are you know the identifiers of a false teacher. These are the teachers. At the very beginning, he said, you know, this is the type of teaching you should listen to. These are the type of things to look for. When Jesus talks about beware of false prophets that come looking like prophets but aren't know them by their fruits. And here he kind of lays out, this is what the fruit looks like. And so it wasn't quite um, as line by line as I would typically be like, uh, we need to do that. I think it was very practical. Um, I know we're not done yet, so I don't want to get to the whole like summary part of it, but that's just my thinking right now. Cause we are to what they've sort of bookmarked in their video as summary. Plus the piano started and we all know what it means when the piano starts. When you hear that nice synth piano at the end, we're about to, I don't know. I mean, in normal church services, we're, we're about to hear an altar call. We'll see what he does here. Oh man, <laughs> the piano gives me such like, <laughs> it sets me off. The piano at the end sets me off and I don't know why. All right, let's, let's, let's finish up the sermon here. We got about, um, well, we have 10 minutes left in the video. I don't know if this whole 10 minutes is going to be a sermon, the end of the sermon or not. Are we going to have piano for 10 minutes, Mike? Is that what we're going to do, buddy? We'll see. As we do every week here at New Day, but let me summarize. False teachers are those who claim to represent God here on the earth and claim to be sent with a message from him, but who in reality are not. We have to be vigilant about refusing to allow ourselves to be corrupted and led astray by their influence. But with that said, we do not need to be afraid of the false prophet because he is easily identified. The fruit of his life and teaching will not square with scripture, thus they are easily identified. If you're a follower of Jesus, the application today couldn't be more simple because Jesus just spells it out for us so clearly in this passage. The application, it's right from the text. It's beware. Beware. Be on guard. Don't just see some post online and go, oh, this must be great. Let me go listen to that. Be discerning. Do some research. Because again, Satan is the great counterfeiter and he has a false gospel preached by false ministers that produces false Christians. And you don't want to believe your whole life you're a sheep when in reality you're a goat. You don't want to believe your whole life that you are wheat when in reality you're a, a, a tear, a weed. You don't want to believe your whole life that you are wheat when in reality you are chaff. Chaff is destined for fire. Chaff is burned. Wheat is brought into the barn. Now, for those of you who are not currently disciples of Jesus, you also need to beware. As we've learned today, there's many different gospels floating out there, but there's only one gospel that saves. The problem with the works gospel, though it sounds good, it doesn't save. The problem with the prosperity gospel, though it sounds good, does not save. The problem with the sinless gospel is that it doesn't save either. It's only the gospel that we find in the Bible, the gospel of Christ, that has the power to save. The gospel of Christ is good news. But the gospel of Christ does not begin with good news. It begins. 
Okay, so I'm interested to see kind of how he how he sets up the gospel, right? So this is very helpful, what he's doing at the end. I know I'm giving him a bunch of junk about the piano, which I will continue to do, by the way. But that's just a personal preference. Um, but what he's doing is he's summing this up, right? So here are all the false gospels that have been given. These are all bad. These all cannot save. And now he's saying, as a believer, you just need to be aware of that. You need to look out for that. Like, you're in the, you know, you're in the family of God. Good. But watch out for this teaching that is bad. So Jesus just tells you, like he said, right in the, in the sermon just now, he said, Jesus tells you, beware of the false prophet. Just beware of them. Look for them. But he is switching over to possible unbelievers in the room and saying, like, all right, these don't save. Like, these gospels I've just told you about don't save. So now what he is doing is setting up a gospel that does save. So what is the gospel that does save look like? This is what I'm interested in. Like, how is he going to unpack this? What is he going to say? So he said, it's good news, but it doesn't start as good news. That's where I paused him. So let's see sort of how he unpacks this here. Because oftentimes, I mean, very, very few sermons um, do we see just like a blatant gospel presentation given at the end. And oftentimes it's very much like, if you want to follow Jesus, raise your hand, stand up today and repeat this prayer. So let's see what he does uh, and how he unpacks this. Begins with bad. The gospel of Christ begins with this message. We are sinners in need of a savior. We have sinned. We have violated God's law. We have fallen short of his glorious standard. And there's only one penalty for sin, which is death. The gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, it begins with a terrible, terrible message that we have sinned and offended a holy God. There's one penalty for sin, which is death. And because of sin, we will one day die physically. And if we die apart from Christ, we will suffer eternally. That's how the gospel of Christ begins. But I'm so thankful that that's not where the gospel of Christ ends. Because the gospel of Christ then continues and says, though you're a sinner who's violated God's law and who deserves the just punishment for sin, which is death, physical and spiritual, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. And friends, it's through that faith in Jesus to deal with the problem that sin has created. When we trust in Jesus to deal with the problem of death, we are saved. And yes, once saved, good works flow out of our life, but it's not the good works themselves that earn us our salvation. Salvation is by the grace of God through our faith in his one and only son, Jesus who died on a cross so that he could take upon himself the punishment that our sin deserved. Friends, that is the gospel of Christ. And so Jesus says to believers and unbelievers alike, beware. If you're a believer, don't allow any spiritual influence to enter your life. That could put you on a path that leads to hell. But he also says, likewise, to those who are not currently disciples of Jesus, you too beware. Because there's a lot of gospels out there, and some of them are very attractive. I mean, who doesn't want to buy into the sinless gospel? I can be churchy. I can meet great people. I can have assurance of salvation. But I can just continue living however I want. Oh, how attractive is that? Because it's attractive, so many people buy into it. And that's why there's going to be a need one day, on Judgment Day, for Jesus to tell the angels, sort them out. 
separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the wheat from the chaff. And again, in this series, we're trying to prepare you for that day. We want you to be a true disciple of Jesus. So on that day, you can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, not, I never knew you, depart from me into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Today, if you would like to accept the true gospel, the gospel of Christ, because you want to be saved, and you don't want to be a goat, you want to be a sheep. You don't want to be a tear, you want to be wheat. You don't want to be chaff, you want to be wheat that will be gathered into the barn. A metaphorical way of saying you want to be gathered into the kingdom of heaven to live with Jesus forever. It'd be my great privilege to lead you in our closing prayer. So at this time, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Those of you online, don't tune out just yet. Join us in prayer, won't you? And in your heart, maybe you'd say this to God. Say, Heavenly Father, I accept the true gospel today. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he came to earth to live a sinless life. I believe that he died on a cross in my place and for my sins and that three days later he rose again. And I'm trusting in this Jesus to forgive my sins. I confess my sins and readily admit that I need saving from the just penalty that your law demands for sin, which is death. So God, please forgive me so that I can escape that penalty. And now, God, upon my confession, I humbly ask that by your grace and through my faith in Christ that you would grant to me eternal life, though I am so undeserving of such a wonderfully generous gift. And God, now that I am one of your children and a citizen in your kingdom, I do pray for help to be discerning in what I expose myself to as I work to grow in my knowledge and love of my Savior. God, protect me from the false prophet and bring into my life everyone whose aim is to help keep me on the straight and narrow path until that day where I will live with you forever in the eternal kingdom that you've appointed Jesus, my Savior, to rule over forever. I pray in his name. Amen. 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 Okay, so it looks like they're going to just go into worship. Um, so that was, a, that was an interesting ending. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So let's go through what we always look at, right? So did he read scripture? Yes, he read through the text. Um, he gave a lot of um, con, you know, cross-reference texts as well. Depending on what his point was, he was giving cross-reference texts to those texts as well. Um, did he uh, use context and culture to exegete the text to bring an application for the believer then as well as us? Uh, he did, for sure. Uh, I think the, the most obvious example of that was the sheep, um, the, the shepherd dressed in, as a, you know, in the sheep, um, using the sheep skin and the sheep wool to warm themselves and uh, that example that he gave there. And then did he preach the gospel of Christ? Uh, he did. Now, there's a few things there, and I, I don't want this to sound overly critical because it's not meant to. I just think there's some things that I would point out. Um, as I said before, like we didn't really go through verse by verse here. Um, 
so much like actually like where he's going, Hey, go to verse 16. Hey, go to verse 17, go to verse 18, go to verse 19. What we do see him do is he works through the text, but without directing you to, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, really just walking you through that with practical application. So this is a different way to do it. I'm not saying it's bad. That's why I'm saying like, I don't want this to sound critical because it may come off that way, but it's not. He's he's not necessarily saying, Hey, go to this verse. Hey, now go to this verse. As much as he's providing practical application all through the sermon in regards to who to look for and what to look for there. Um, he gives very practical examples. Uh, this is something that's, at least in this sermon, really seems to come out. This ability to give practical examples, modern day practical examples for the audience that he's speaking to so that we understand what he means by uh, wolves and sh- uh, shepherds, right? What, what he means by like good fruit, bad fruit. And so like, I think overall, this, this is great. Like the, the, uh, let me address the prayer at the end. So yes, he read the scripture. Yes. He gave us context and culture, uh, very much brought an application in a modern way for the believer, uh, based on that application, as far as like showing pictures, for example, of the, the, um, uh, the, the thorn bush and the thistle. Those were good examples. And then the end, did he preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think he did. He, he counters them. With, so he says, these are all of the bad gospels that don't actually save you. And here's the true gospel. And then he ends with the prayer. Now, one of the things I do want to point out with that prayer, because I know before we went into it, I was like, let's see if he does the whole repeat the prayer after me thing. And though technically he does, he also at the same time doesn't. So like practically, if you were actually going to repeat that prayer, there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with him. He's not giving you time to, to actually repeat it. He's giving it to you. Uh, uh, basically, uh, he's giving you the gospel in a prayer that you're listening to, but you're not going to really be able to repeat. That if you're going to repeat it, you're going to have to go back and listen to it again. So essentially, it's not really a repeat a prayer after me because there's definitely no time or room to do that. And he doesn't provide you that time or room to do that. It's very much presenting the gospel via a prayer um, that you would pray if you wanted to become a believer. Uh, And not only is it, you know, praying a prayer to God, you know, come into my heart, you know, I accept Jesus, but it's also God protect me from the thing we just read about today, the false, the false teacher. So overall, I think this is good again. And I always forget to say this at the beginning of the sermon reviews. This isn't about Mike being the worst or the best. This is about like, what do we want to look for in a sermon? And what Mike did here that was really, really unique is that he demonstrated um, what it looked like to, to preach through the text and give incredibly practical examples. But he also in so giving practical examples tells you how to look for practical examples and exegesis in a sermon. So it's a really interesting, like two handed thing. Like everything he said here is basically, I don't, I don't, I think basically I, I say everything he said here in most of my sermon reviews, which is why I think me and Mike would probably get along. So the overall great sermon, right? It's a, it's a pastor. uh, uh, It's a shepherd with a shepherd's heart for his sheep saying, this is what to look for. This is what to, to, to be aware of. This is what, you know, you should definitely avoid. And this is what you should go after. And if you're already a believer, great. Just be aware of that. If you're not a believer, you need to be saved and then be aware of that. So I think overall, this is great. Let me know what you think below. I know that I, I wanted to really zero in on the whole doctrinal thing where he starts talking about um, because I know there are going to be people that have issue with him saying that like 
the the faith works thing. There's going to be some people that probably watch this to kind of zoom in on that. Uh, so that's why I wanted to really bring out this idea of like, hey, this you know this is where Mike's like doctrine and theology is coming in here, and that may be different. And I wanted to do that because obviously there's going to be some people watch this video that aren't in that same line, and you should be diligent in exploring why you believe what you believe as far as secondary theological issues, which some of the things he mentioned aren't even really secondary. They're primary, but you have to explore them so you know why you believe what you believe there. And so overall, let me know what you think. If you found this helpful, make sure you share it. If you have an issue or a uh, an agreement, make sure you leave a comment. And as always, guys, please, 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 please like the video. That really helps. If you're not subscribed, do that because we do this every single week and we have another video essay coming out really soon. And if you haven't seen our first one, the Michael Todd documentary, video essay, whatever you want to call it, you can check that out as well. I'll talk to you next week. You have a good one.